and then the book, which I have in my hand. <laughs> the only little red book anyone <laughs> <laughs> Do not come <laughs> <laughs> That should be on the cover. I gonna, yeah, right, okay. I couldn't work out what I was going to... Couldn't decide whether the best thing to do for like, like a, an Instagram post about your book was to be like, that's what we were covering for you for, or to be like, new little red book just dropped. Do both. Yeah. That both so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to The Cine Skinny. It is the podcast from the team behind The Skinny Magazine. It's three of us today. It's uh, me, Peter Simpson, with Lewis Robertson. Hello. And Annie Burrows. Hi. Annie's written a book, but oh, we'll gosh. get onto that shortly. <laughs> um, Jamie Dunn is currently deep in a writing bunker, working on a top secret project <laughs> that we are not allowed to talk about yet. But he has been very busy, including at Glasgow Film Festival, where he did a couple of interviews for the pod, one with Daniel Goldhaber, the director of How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and one with Blackberry director Matt Johnson. And he also did like a mini bonus episode of the pod with his own team, uh, Rory Doherty and Ayanna Murray. Were either of you invited? No, he was just in Glasgow. He just was plodding okay. on. Um, None of us were invited. So if you want to listen to the Rogue Second City Skinny podcast, <laughs> um, all three of those episodes are on the podcast feed just now. So go and listen to them. They're very good. And we all miss Jamie terribly, <laughs> but we'll simply have to go on. Um, so today we're going to be talking about like extremely delirious mashups, uh, cool new films with cool people in them, and the fact that Anahit has written a book. Um, <coughs> but before that, I have to say that this week's episode of The Skinny Skinny is sponsored by the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival, which runs from the 22nd to the 26th of March. Uh, this is the 13th edition of HipFest at the gorgeous 100-year-old Hippodrome Cinema in Bowness, which is just 40 minutes from Glasgow and or Edinburgh. Uh, the festival celebrates silent film with live music in a kind of unique format that you don't get at other festivals in Scotland or really anywhere else. Um, a few key highlights to look out for. Uh, one is The Accidental Anthropologist, which is this kind of newly discovered archive of life in rural Ireland in the 1920s. It's presented by senior film restorer Kathy Rose O'Regan, and it has a live violin accompaniment by Gunther Buchwald. And another thing to look out for is Master of the House, which is this kind of like battle of the sexes comedy by Carl Dreyer, who directed The Passion of Joan of Arc. What? The 21st <laughs> best movie ever, sight and sound, TMTM. Um, and that screening has a live piano accompaniment by John Sweeney, favourite of accompanying things at HipFest. Uh, but the full HipFest programme has a bit of everything. It's got screenings projected on the side of train stations, a kind of glamorous Friday night gala screening. All the presentations uh, in the Hippodrome are BSL supported. And if you don't have a car and are wondering how you would get to Bowness, then don't worry because they're running daily shuttle buses from Linlithgow train station to the cinema. So for more on the festival and to get your tickets, go to HipFest, that's H-I-P-P-Fest.co.uk. And thank you to the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival for sponsoring The Cine Skinny. Yay! Thanks, HipFest. Lovely chaps. A good fun time. <laughs> I've been talking for quite a while, so I'm going to pass over to somebody else and ask people what they've been watching. And he, you saw something that played at GFF but is coming out later this week. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Wasn't sure whether it was just going to be an easy pass. You know what? No. You saw Riley. <laughs> Please go. tell me about it. Oh, it was so cute. It's such a good time. Um, it is a magical hour and 22 minute film. A uh, little like romantic comedy about two kids who 
kind of meet at this like ridiculous art showing and then do a kind of like walk and talk through Peckham and kind of fall for each other and then go on all kinds of like little shenanigans. Um, I think it's been on the internet a lot because of a truly abysmal Guardian column written about it, which mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the Guardian is going to Guardian. What can you do? Oh, is this the, the gentrification? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like actual actually, fucking nonsense. But it also said, is that when they said, oh, Peckham is being gentrified by one comparatively small film. Yes. Here's some chat about Notting Hill. Yeah. Here's some talking about stuff that happened literally 25 years ago. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Just Bang like out. embarrassing. Like if it were me, if it were me, I just <laughs> would never. Like, you know, <laughs> I would rather die. Um, but it is just such a charming film. It's by first time director Rain Allen Miller. She has such a beautiful eye. Someone, I can't remember who, was um, comparing it a little bit to chewing gum, like that kind of comedic, like almost the absurdism of it. And it's a very, very good kind of mashup between, yeah, this kind of very highly stylized, very, very interesting visual sensibility to it. But then just very like naturalistic. People have compared it a lot to Before Sunrise in the way that it is just like two people hanging out and kind of falling for each other and trying to like navigate that. Uh, the leads, David Johnson, Vivian Opera are like just so lovely. It's just like nice. It's just very sweet, sexy, hits every beat that a romantic comedy should. Just fucking loved it. Also, beautiful, beautiful film about London. Gorgeous, gorgeous film about London. Um just made me like miss home a lot just like very vibrant very alive just yeah really stunning and I think is within that tradition of the romantic comedy that kind of explores the life of a city as well as like the lives like the interior lives of its characters in like very clever ways a cute good time a cute good time yeah and it's out soon I don't know why yeah, I think it's out this weekend maybe. it is this weekend yeah I think it okay. is yeah so there that's Riley and look out for that uh Lewis I think you also watched something at, uh, looking at your screen. Yes. Um, <laughs> angles are on my side today. You also saw something at GFF, which I think we kind of alluded to last time. Yeah, I did manage to get down and see the origin um, yeah. with the subsequent director's Q&A. This is the Stone Age horror that just perfectly does what it says on the tin. That tagline is really, really rewarding. And um, I've always been interested in like depictions of prehistoric or early humans because it's just something that we don't typically see in media often i don't know why that is it might just be because there's not we have like less of a grasp on what life was like that long ago so it's harder to credibly depict it Mm. but this takes some creative liberties uh in the in the director's uh q a andrew Cumming explained that like it's a constructed language they use it's not proto-indo-european or whatever and it's like quite uh you know, they've, they've taken inspiration from fashion at the time, but sort of, you know, put their own spin on it. And I think that sort of really, really helps it. Um, it's also, yeah, it's very Scottish. The second you see the landscape for the first time, you you sort of do realise, oh, God, we do live in a very, like, dark and forbidding wasteland, don't we? Um, <laughs> but it's still, like, treated with reverence, right? Because Andrew Cumming is a local boy. Uh, and, and, and during the his Q&A, he told us about the, the really, really harsh... Uh, filming conditions and how like the like aggressive wind pretty much destroyed morale by day two um and that like kind of you know i think that really helps the film really like the actors are giving quite a desperate fearful performance kind of kubrickian really <laughs> like how it also how sounds a bit like duke of edinburgh yes it does it did take me back to like that the one, film or the process the, pro- the like the little awards the thing, award thing. Oh, that i yeah, did when yeah, i was like yeah. 13 and hated yeah. Yeah, every second lo- of it they lead the children up a mountain yeah. and in most cases morale is destroyed by it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, yeah, I would love to see this film get wider distribution. I think that like it could probably like do well if it got released here because obviously it's Scottish and a bit weird and quite interesting. But you know, in terms of it being a horror film, quite good, quite stylized, quite not necessarily too jump scary or naff or anything like that. Pretty classy. Again, when I was on the podcast last, I was talking about how Andrew coming in his interview with Jamie. Uh, cited Alien as a main inspiration. So mm. that framework really shows. Um, but all in all, very good film. Delivers on its very unique premise. Pretty pleased. Good stuff. It doesn't have any distro at the moment, does it? I don't think so. Okay. Well, keep an eye out for it. Yeah. The origin. Stone Age horror. Love to see it. Have you been watching anything? Uh, I watched all three John Wicks at the weekend oh, in sick. preparation yes. for John Wick 4. Uh, <laughs> they really are like... They're all completely different films from each other. I know they are different films because there are three of them. But like the first, <laughs> the first one is like a quite straight down the line revenge thriller. The third one is just it's almost like a James Bond film, and it's like Keanu Reeves' world tour of kicking people's heads in. And then the one in the middle that sort of is in between, caught between these two houses. I think the first one is the best one. The second one has better like sequences, but the third one's so camp and overblown. <laughs> I think I prefer the third one to the second one as a film. But mm. the fourth one is out this weekend. We presumably, I will shoehorn in some discussion of it on the pod. Sure, sure. So something to look forward to. Where are you hoping that will land, the fourth one? Yeah, that's what I was Camper than ever. Camper than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Camp, the Keanu Reeves campus. way. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing a cowboy hat in this yeah. one. He's riding around, <laughs> riding around on a Segway, just la- lassoing people. Do not tempt me with a good time. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah, stand these things up or get out. So the first main thing we want to talk about today is a film that is playing at the Glasgow Short Film Festival. And if anyone was listening to our GSFF episode last year, they'll remember that we seem to exclusively talk about long short films when we talk about GSFF. So (laughs) today it's Hello Dankness, which is the new film from Soda Jerk, who are an Australian directing duo now based in the US. And it is a mashup of hundreds of film and audio clips all collaged together to tell a strange but not too strange recap of the stories of 2016 to 2020 in those United States they have nowadays. Um, it does kick off with a full playthrough of the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad where a multiracial group of breakdancing protesters give a can of Pepsi to a line of riot police, which is sort of like a very interesting framing device to say that can things get much weirder than the reality that we are actually living in? And Maybe not, but the Soda Jerk duo are more than willing, Lewis, to give it the old college try. That Kendall Jenner thing is insane. <laughs> I, like, it really took me back into it. But um, And yeah. I think one of the things about the Kendall Jenner thing, before we start, is it's the long, it's the extended cut of the Kendall Jenner ad. And because I've seen some of Soda Jerk's work in the past, I assumed at some point there was going to be like a flip or something was mm. going to get like added in. And it's just as far as I can tell, a straight run-through. Yeah, it's the most damning thing in the film about that era, and it hasn't even been edited by Soda Jerk. I kept thinking it was, like, a parody of the... And then halfway through, I was like, no, that is actually Kendall Jenner. Like, that is... They were just that fucking dumb. (laughs) Yeah, it was wild. But, um, yeah, no, the film's editing uh, is, like, a real achievement when we do get to it, of course. Um, if If you have any interest in the sort of really unique way that 
internet creators tend to like remix stuff and pair things together and memify things and hybridize different media, then this is like a really interesting film in that regard. Um, it also has, a, you know, a, a, I think a good sort of thesis at its heart, which is that memes are a really volatile form of communication, right? Memes are something that fundamentally reduce nuance. Um, so it manages to achieve that, uh, to state that by bringing together so many disparate uh, pieces of media that you would think are completely incapable of connecting. But they do it. They make it work. Uh, they create a new narrative out of all these different things. And, you know, you might just enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it. But, you know, I, think, I, can, I can imagine some film buffs would really enjoy going in and seeing how much they can recognize out of all the different things that they see. Um, the narrative that they make, whilst, I, again, like I say, memes as a volatile form of communication, um, I do feel like sometimes it's a little bit absent in terms of I would have loved to have seen the nuance that memes have removed from these discussions. You know, there's a, a the scene where um, we, we have the Wayne's World headbanging scene, but Bohemian Rhapsody has been replaced with My Dick is Out for Harambe. <laughs> and um, it's funny, but, like, I think that it doesn't do a good job of informing on, like, why there is such a strong backlash to the Harambe meme, right? Because loads of people used it as a write-in vote in the 2016 election, and then you know, the Democrats suggested that these people using a meme as a right and vote actually widened Trump's success. So it's certainly not like a documentary by any means. It doesn't inform or necessarily like analyze stuff from the time, but it will, without necessarily showing you what people did, said, or believed, give a really good impression of what people did, said, or believed at the time. Yeah, it has the kind of chaotic, feral, confused energy of your standard Instagram meme page. <laughs> like it is using, it is tearing through references at an unsustainable rate until you realise that the rate is going to be sustained throughout the runtime. Um, I, I can, I know what you mean about that. One of the, the weakest element of this film is the is like scene to scene development because it's a collage of collages. Sort of like a reflected document of a time, but without really trying super, super hard to put a, a thread through it that is easy to follow. So it does have that, it's like watching, yeah, it's like looking at every meme on a meme page simultaneously. And what you end up with is this kind of like kaleidoscopic effect where you get, you do get a lot of elements where you're like, well, I can see what you've done, good job. But then you also get some incredible needle drops and beat switches. There's an incredible moment, uh, which I can only describe as a Russian Phantom of the Opera needle drop. <laughs> there is also a scene from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action film, which is then overdubbed with an extremely weary like podcast clip trying to explain to somebody what the Pizzagate scandal was all about. <laughs> um, and there is one absolutely incredible banger 10 out of 10 no notes montage about the 2020 lockdown that is set to memories from the cat soundtrack <laughs> um, which is like genuinely couldn't stop laughing hilarious i think it's this thing of like encyclopedic film knowledge crossed with a kind of like agitprop left-wing tendency which is an incredibly powerful weapon that really like you need to have it very sharp in order to best use it on people but the fact that it has been built in the first place is like is incredibly interesting and good yeah that's the thing right like this i think that i'm looking at it the wrong way whereas like oh generations that come after us and want to know what the hell went on between 2016 and 2020 like 
this actually doesn't make for a good artifact of the time. It is, in essence, one big meme because of its short-livedness. That nuance that I was talking about that memes remove from political conversations or social conversations, uh, the nuance, you know, it's not in the film. We only know that memes have robbed nuance of this time because we already know the nuance. The film is not going to teach anyone anything new. So go enjoy it while you can, right? Because it is a very of-its-time creation. Um, it's it's also like saying that's what memes are. They're incredibly ephemeral things. Yeah, it works much more like a, like a medicine in pill form than like a medicine in like liquid form. And that you, it all just explodes once it gets inside you. <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor. No. But, <laughs> but, um, but out of here, I believe that you managed to catch some of it. You say that like I didn't just watch it in the office <laughs> in I'm front to, of all of you. Okay, Annie, I believe you watched some of this in the office in front give, of all of us. Give us your review of the first 20 minutes. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I did like lean across like multiple times being like, what was that film that like Tom Hanks was in? What was this film that like there are these weird talking hot dogs and like Jamie and Peter and this are just very patiently being like, it's this film. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, I... Don't know if it is possible for a film like, th- like this is just this is such bad criticism because I haven't seen the whole thing. <laughs> it's like the worst kind of criticism where I'm like I'm gonna have an opinion and I haven't seen it fully. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be as sharply political as maybe not even necessarily that it thinks it is, but maybe what some people will project onto it. Mm-hmm. I think for me it is just funny, and I will say it is one of the few times that I have been able to bear seeing things from that period you know like that visceral reaction you have to that election to the announcement of the lockdowns to the like kind of news segments like every fucking day about like just that oh my god if I just see that like normally playing it just gives me like deep deep anxiety whereas this I was like that's fucking hilarious this could be like a this slaps a really strong function of this film is that it could be therapeutic right yeah it could I help think you so. like it really disarms the awful things that have happened yeah. these past few years of their like weight in our lives yes yeah absolutely and I think for me that is from what I saw of it it feels less like a kind of exceptional work of political commentary because I think you're right it's not really saying anything that we don't already know but I think the language with which it's saying it and to have put that in a cinematic form like you say that kind of like meme page thing but to have made I mean like I know it's in a short film festival it is an hour and eight minutes so to have made like a feature length kind of like long film about that using collage which is itself like a kind of disruptive tool I think that's really really interesting very good special effects they will just like put like a poster like seamlessly in like a 1980s film and I was like oh my god look at that (laughs) so I just thought it was a very curious object of a time that is not you know making it's not like owning anyone politically but it is like oh I haven't seen us take the piss in that particular way before which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> never, never seen someone, never seen someone hit a watermelon with a yeah. cricket bat like that. <laughs> it's innovating new ways of taking the yeah. piss. Yeah, <laughs> which was funny. I will go home and finish it. Which Excellent. is a compliment, I think, because I don't have to. Yeah. So. <laughs> the podcast will be done by to. then. Yeah. You can't make me. I'll do it anyway. Um, I w- and it's, so it's playing at Glasgow Shop Film Festival, and I would say, as much as we've discussed that it is like it's a very interesting but flawed document, I think you should go and see it mm. if you can at Glasgow Short Film Festival because one, it's an experience and a half, and two, 
I would put good money on this film never, ever, ever getting a yeah, thea- getting God, no. any kind of release because the level of clearances mm. you would need and the reason you would need things cleared, it just won't happen. I'm pretty sure that there's somebody on Letterboxd saying, like, fair play to Soda Jerk for going on stage at the Berlin Alley and being like, yeah, we didn't clear any of this. <laughs> <laughs> you think I would have phoned them up? No chance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Hello Dankness screens at Glasgow Film Theatre on Saturday the 25th of March at 6.45pm. It's part of the 2023 Glasgow Short Film Festival, which runs from the 22nd to the 26th at GFT, CCA and Civic House. GlasgowShort.org, I believe, is where they have all the rest of the program. It's all on there. But Hello Darkness, good. Go it's and sick. see it. It's, it's co- really it's, good yeah. fun. So Anna Heat's written a book. Um, it's out now. It's called BFFs, and it looks at portrayals of female friendship in books, TV, and the thing that we like to talk about, the films, um, <laughs> across kind of various times of or stages in women's lives. And it's an, like an exploration of the ways in which these friendships morph over time and the alternatives that they offer to like monogamous romantic relationships or relationships mediated by work or relationships kind of mediated through nuclear family structures. Uh, it's a very good book. Aww. You should read it. <laughs> you should buy it. You should enjoy it. It's really good. Oh, it's really good. Thanks. Um, and one of its central themes seems to be, you could kind of sum up as like, how do you use the strength and kind of plasticity of female friendship to stop being subsumed into the heteronormative blob that is the funniest thing (laughs) anyone has ever said about the book (laughs) but it is also literally what the book is about yeah that's like very incisive yeah thank you yeah that's okay oh man we're walking as a team (laughs) we're having a great time um but yeah we just want to have a talk about the book and some of the films that are mentioned in it um but one really interesting idea that you kind of bring up that's probably a good place to start is this notion that comes in like partway through of like kind of time limited friendships where the limits are often like imposed by outside forces, whether that's your parents or your job or like just society saying that by your age you should have a partner or the capitalism saying <laughs> like you should do these things because it's better for like everybody. Um, but they're often very kind of like implicit and dogmatic at the same time. So it's mm. like people saying, I shouldn't have to tell you this kind of thing. Mm. Um, are there any films that speak particularly strongly to that? To the sense of like that you can think of like friendships resisting that kind of like crush of being responsible and doing things like a grown up. Um, I think in the book, the ones that I mostly focus on are the ones that are not necessarily offering a kind of alternative to that, but they're the ones that are kind of within the struggle of that. So there's like a whole chapter on friendship breakups. Um, which looks at like Frances Ha and then Claudia Weil's um, Girlfriends, which is like the proto Frances Ha um, from 1978. And both of those are about like these very, very intimate friendships where it's just like so natural. Like, you know, the kind of pal that you have that you just don't. It's it's like a real, like a romantic relationship where just everything in your life is like entangled and just like movie magic, you know? And then something intercedes. And I think what both of those films do that is so important is they look at kind of the aftermath of what comes after that. So for Claudia Wiles one, it's um, Susan who's kind of left after her best friend and flatmate Annie gets married. And then Frances Hart's Frances after Sophie kind of starts dating a man named Patch, <laughs> which is a silly name. <laughs> Imagine if our one listener's called Patch and I've like alienated him. <laughs> Um, and I think what both of them did, which was very, very important, was they kind of paid attention to 
why that would be so devastating. And so it's not so much that they are offering like an alternative exactly by showing something that's beyond that, but they are kind of thinking about that that is kind of a real loss and a real grief in someone's life. And that that maybe isn't like a good thing, like the way that we're kind of taught to leave certain relationships behind in our lives, like that is actively damaging to kind of our ideas of intimacy, ideas of interiority. Um, One of the things I did want to talk about in the book that I then kind of just ran out of room and didn't get time for is that kind of like interesting, which I suppose almost is like the antidote to that, right, of... um, like friendships between women in older years so like I was thinking of the golden girls obviously Mm -hmm. Grace and Frankie um maybe actually kind of thinking about Grace and Frankie the project that kind of brought Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin together is the um kind of very sort of anti-capitalist film uh nine to five from 1980 which is about these women who work in the same workplace with like this very very creepy boss um, and they're kind of taught to be really Dolly Parton's also there. And to begin with, the two women are like, she's so sutty, she sleeps with the boss. And they realize that they're all like in the same struggle together and then they work together um, and they become best friends. And I feel there are like those alternatives maybe that kind of think beyond like the friendships of your like childhood and 20s. And they're like, what if that continued? And I suppose that is encouraging in yeah. some ways. Does that answer your question? That does answer my question, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Can you think of any? I can't really think of it. I think that the stuff about animals that's in the book mm. is like kind of interesting in that like regard as well because it's again it's a thing of two friends who are kind of have their troubles but are happy mm. in that moment but then one of them does something one of them essentially gets like they have like a romantic partner yeah. and then that means that the other one feels a sense of like they've been sold out a bit mm-hmm. basically it's a very interesting idea actually a lot of things are portrayed in society and then obviously in media which is as we all know a reflection of society yeah it's like that there are presented these sort of like break points where it's like well that's not, that's enough of that yeah, yeah stop yeah. doing that thing now yeah. do new thing mm-hmm. it's yeah like, but what if i don't want to do new thing it's like but you can't you can't just be pals with somebody yeah you don't work with them anymore yes or like you don't like you have like they have a kid so like you should expect to not see them anymore it's mm-hmm. like well why don't i just go and look after their kid and then yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like these new i think there is a resistance and i think it's because we still conceptualize friendship in this very like childhood way and one of the things that was really important to me was that i didn't want this to be a book about white teenagers which i think is often how we think about friendship and that's damaging i think both in terms of like representation not having like a wide kind of you know, um, spectrum of people's like lived experience. But I think it also, it's exactly what you're saying. It sticks it within these rigid codes of like, you can only be friends with someone if you have no other responsibilities in life. You're not really thinking of romance and you can constantly like go for sleepovers at each other's houses. And once that ends, then we don't really have like a cartography for how friendship should look. And maybe actually a lot of it should be, you know, like I do kind of mention even things like communal child rearing (laughs) to a certain extent like that's because if you are obviously the kind of gendered stuff it is like slightly more kind of like gray but very often like as a woman or like within certain kinds of like gendered bodies like your experience of being a parent is that then you were just like stuck and trapped in a house one of the ways to kind of think beyond that is to think about well child rearing needs to not be like this kind of one-to-one thing and what are like the relationships that could like help with that I think that there's a renewed interest in like a younger generation, particularly among it, the queer community, mm. uh, about the phrase 
it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because the truth is that even if you have very like astute and observant parents, all human beings are flawed in some way, mm-hmm. right? And that flaw will pass itself down to whatever yeah. child. Like you can try your best as a parent, mm. but you still might on accident really screw up your kid unwillingly. Yeah. Whereas like a more communal approach to the family unit, mm. um, a, a better reflection of, of uh, you know, the idea of family as a community and yes. not as a, as a nuclear unit yeah. uh, would probably alleviate that. It would give young people more places to go to if they mm. were in need of something or specific kinds of advice. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like, certainly grown-ups with vast friend networks uh, not only, like, you know, act as wonderful role models, uh, giving, like, healthy examples of uh, extroverted behavior in later life, but also can offer more resources for their kids a hundred percent and yeah it is exactly what you say of like you are likely to kind of screw and it's like that fucking philip larkin poem right but how much more likely to screw up your child if you've been handed this baby and then locked in a house Mm -hmm. because you know childcare in this country costs forty thousand a year like that is a just i think a categorically insane way to treat parents (laughs) and it kind of narrows down their intimacies and narrows down their lives to like a couple of people um, even thinking about, yeah, like Claudia Wiles girlfriends, um, the friend in that who like leaves and gets married, she has a baby. And I think actually that film is so important because it gives a lot of empathy both to the friend that's left behind, but also to the friend that got married. And I think Susan in that film, who's still like the artsy photographer and finding herself, has this judgment of her friend that like, well, her interior life is now gone because she's got married and she has this baby. And this woman like wants to write and she wants like a life. And she ends up, spoilers for Girlfriends, which came out 50 years ago, um, but she ends up like having an abortion because she doesn't want a second baby because then she's like, that really will just like tie me to the house. And I think we need to kind of, yeah, I think so often when we think about friendship, the only way that we can imagine it is like essentially recreating almost that like same nuclear thing, right? Of like, it's you and your best friend against the world. It's not you and your husband, but it's you and your best friend. And I just think we need to stop thinking about ourselves in like such tiny little pockets of people and try and think of it in a more expansive way. And a less adversarial way. Yes, well. yeah, yeah, for because sure. Because it's that thing of like, it's me and my friend against the world. It's like, why are we against the yeah, world? We're yes. not gonna win, it's the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two of us. yeah. And there's everyone minus two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like a fair fight if you ask me. Um, you kind of mentioned, you mentioned nine to five, um, the sources that the kind of book draws in in terms of like films and TV and stuff, it's like a real mix. I know you said like you wanted to make sure it's not just about mm-hmm. like white teenagers, but it's everything from like kind of little women to nine to five to things like uh, Crystal Mazel's TV yeah. series, Betty yeah. um, and Issa Rae's Insecure. What was your kind of process going in? Were there definites you wanted to include from the start or did the kind of source list sort of come together as you're working on it? Yeah, so there were like, um, so the sort of rough structure of the book was decided before I wrote it because it was part of the proposal that I gave to 404 Inc. And so the chapters were kind of already set to a large extent. Um, And they had like, while I did it, I kind of grouped together like various sort of texts that I would write about. And then when it came to writing it, it was a bit more like, okay, well, you can't talk about like 10 in each chapter because you need to like shut the fuck up at some point. So then it was like narrowing it down to like my favorites or ones that I thought were very important so I think like Issa Rae's Insecure was just like a milestone in terms of um the portrayal of black women on screen black friendship on screen um kind of behind the scenes as well like what Issa Rae did in terms of like tv production was like really important so that kind of was key 
um, like I talk about reading Lolita and Tehran at one point, it was important for me to have like an Iranian voice in there. So it was like little things like that. I will say Little Women is like mentioned kind of on and off because it is one of my absolute favorite books and films. So it's kind of like sprinkled in there. But I think apart from the virgin suicides, um, like I didn't talk about Little Women at length because I didn't want to really talk about sisters that much. And the only time I broke that rule was for the virgin suicides because I think that is not a film about how great family can be, but it's a film about how damaging that kind of idea of like the American nuclear family in suburbia can be. So I was like, okay, that's that's fine. But Little Women was a bit more like, you guys are having a great time in your little nuclear family. Yeah. <laughs> <So maybe laughs> Until, again, yeah. spoils for little women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until, they, until they ain't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I did want to ask about The Virgin Suicides because it does have this very kind of, it feels like a very central thing mm. to the whole, like, concept, like the whole book. Mm. Um, it feels like that's a key point in it, so. Yeah, I just, that's my favourite film in the world. So I think when you were asking about how do I pick things as well, that was, like, a big consideration where I was like I have to write about this yeah I just think that the book and the film of that are absolutely remarkable because they and I think this is kind of what I wanted for this whole book right is it's a book about friendship and I don't want to do like that annoying thing that like people who create things do where they like try and pull the rug out and they're like oh it's actually not about this like you know when you talk to a director sometimes who's made like a very political film you're like this is clearly very political and he's like I don't believe in politics and it's like bitch you're like, talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like let's not let's not lie you know um so it is a book about friendship but I think more broadly what I want to write about was like female intimacy and female desire and what I wanted to do was to bring friendship under that umbrella in a way that's been excluded from that before um so I do really care about female friendship obviously but it is part of a broader kind of political idea of how do we write about women's interior lives and what they want and I think the virgin suicides is the perfect book and film that do that because they think about their representation of female inter interiority that is like mediated through these narrators that are men and so you're constantly having to sort of fight against this idea of these women that are just constantly being like narrated and observed and watched and thought about and processed and interpreted by people that just don't understand them at all. And so then you have this like really interesting kind of tension almost between this very like quiet interiority and then this physicality, which is how a lot of the time they can be, they can express themselves and how that's seen. And it's just like one of the most like vivid films about how it feels to be like that age and also like moving on from that age, just the kind of impossibility of it, I think. The Virgin Suicides is generally, I think, yeah, a book and a film about like just absolute impossibility of existing in this world sometimes in these ways. Um, and yeah, it was, I just love it. I just love it so much. So I kind of really wanted it in there. And it went in. And it went in. And it got in. <laughs> no one could stop me. <laughs> <laughs> so Virgin Suicides is one of the films that is showing. So to go with the book, there's like events, but there's also some film screenings yeah. at Cameo and the GFT. Um, did you just shout at the Cameo and GFT until they were able to get you the films that you wanted? Pretty much. I, they were so sweet. Like I sent them a little email being like, oh my God, what if? <laughs> Wouldn't this be so cute? Wouldn't this be crazy <laughs> if, if when my this? book comes yeah. out, <laughs> I get all the <laughs> and they were so nice about it um so I kind of sent through several ideas and then depending on what 
kind of, I think both the personality of the different cinemas to a certain extent and also what they had like rights to and access to and things like that. So yeah, we're doing, at the Cameo, it is Daisies, which is a Czechoslovakian film um, from 1966 that is about these two best friends, both called Marie. It's a film about friendship, but it's also just a film about like sheer anarchy. It was like a very kind of anti-Soviet film. Um, It's just very beautiful and like absolutely fucking deranged. I love it. Then we have Skate Kitchen, which is the film version of Betty. So Skate Kitchen exists and then she made Betty into like a TV show, Crystal Mazel. So there's that. And then there's the Virgin Suicides at the Cameo. And then at the GFT, there is Daughters of the Dust, which um, recently made it for the first time into the sight and sound. Greatest films of all time, Paul, which is exciting. And then Anya Svarda's One Sings, The Other Doesn't, um, which will all just be very charming and cute, I think. Well chosen. <laughs> Thank you so Good much. <laughs> yeah, so those screenings, the first one, uh, Daisies, is on Cameo this Friday. Yes, indeed. On the 17th of March. And then the first screening at the GFT is Daughters of the Dust on the 30th of March. Mm-hmm. And then they continue kind of March and April. But if you go to the Cameo and the GFT websites, you'll find yes. all the details on those. Uh, BFFs is out now. It is. You can get it. I have a copy in my hand right now. <laughs> it's audio. This doesn't yeah. work. In fact... Oh my god. We'll do another one for So <laughs> skinny ASMR. I think I probably picked it up. Uh, so yeah, BFS is out now. Uh, you can get it at 404 Inc. or from your favorite local indie bookshop. Yes, please. And um, probably some big bookshops as well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. don't go to them. No. Um, and you've got a couple of launch events as well. Glasgow Zine Library on the 18th of March and the Assembly Roxy in Edinburgh on the 22nd of March. Yeah. With a bunch of other people that we also like. Yeah, so many people that we like. So many skinny people. There's, it's going to be chaired by Katie Go, who is our old Intersections editor. It's going to be reading for our new Intersections editor, Shanlin Tam, friend of the pod. Noted friend of the pod. They will also be there. Um, Nassim Rebecca Ast, who's our book. Oh my God, okay, actually it is. Just like the skinny. You just, <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I've <laughs> written this book <laughs> and I want to get as many of my friend colleagues yeah. on as I can. It'll be get very me charming. a bigger room. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the 22nd of March. That's through Lighthouse Books. So yes. they're doing the tickets and everything for that. Um, I can't go, but I'll meet you all for a pint afterwards. There we go. That's the spirit. <laughs> Legends. Okay, and I think that's us. Uh, as we just discussed off mic, that's us. So <laughs> thanks, Lewis. Thank you. Thanks, Anna Heat. Thank you, Peter. Thanks to Josh and to Upload Studios for the space. Uploadstudios.co.uk for all your podcasting needs. Uh, we will be back presumably with Jamie um, in two weeks' time. Like I said before, there's GFF episodes on the feed. If you need your fix of Jamie done, there's more than enough <laughs> on there in handy bite-sized chunks. So that's all good. Um, you can get us on socials and stuff. It's all in the episode description. Get us on TikTok as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> TikTok's doing all right, actually. No, I'll, I know. I'll it's just, like, yeah. wild. <laughs> Man, we're entering... Your favourite TikTokers. I know. <laughs> 2019, look out, here we come. (laughs) But yeah, we will be back in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.